Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I, I'm, I'm internally just telling myself, slow down, Dean, because I often go, thank you, in, uh, I get into a pretty intense teaching mode, but coming up here, uh, I mean, Pastor Dave already went over the history, and by the way, I, I appreciate this man so much. I'm just getting to know him, but I feel like there's uh, we have a lot in common in the Lord, and I I love his heart and hospitality, and and I, I feel so grateful to be here. But I'm trying to measure myself because we had set a time in January. I had to delay that to now. In the meantime, Lou's coming through with the send. I don't know where Lou's meeting. He doesn't know that I've got something separate going with Pastor Dave. And I've pondered a number of messages, but I felt like the Lord made it real clear to talk about a call to fasting and prayer in this hour. And so I just thought, you know, Lou and I are about to do this fast uh, beginning March 7th, um, I'm heading out to Colorado Springs to be with him for uh, the fast. And I thought, you know, I just want to talk to Lou, see what uh, he's feeling. And he said, yeah, I was just at Heartland Church. That's where I'm going. And so I, I, I feel there's, a, there's, there's something here, and I, I don't want to just do this. Um, but I have this. I want to tell I want to tell some stories to give faith, but I also want to commend the spirit of this place before the Lord. Uh, it's a it's a painful thing to preach in a church where you know it's not going to matter. There's some churches that I've preached in where I could just as easily read the ten best recipes from Chef Boyardee which is not a pleasant topic to think about. But it would have had as much impact as the most anointed word of the Lord because that church has moved on past Jesus. Or, or they're, they're, they're asleep in so many ways. They're, but I, I, I felt here uh, the word's going to be received and it's going to be acted upon. And, and that raises the stakes I feel uh, entering into worship that there's a there's a, a dimension of life in the spirit in this place. I think probably carefully cultivated over many years. Uh, there's there's DNA and there's a realm of glory. I, I was just getting caught up out there as I was preparing in here as I was uh, uh, stepping into the room. Turn to Matthew, uh, not Matthew, Psalm 40, please. Holy Spirit, would you be with us? We invoke your presence. You're everything we need. Jesus, we exalt you. I'm troubled in these days by 
a number of things in my own life. I don't like to just be a critic. I'm, I'm troubled in these days by, am I ready for what's coming? Is the church ready for what's coming? Do we even have a framework to appreciate the gap between how we're presently organized and what the future is going to require? As we were listening to that song at the end, uh, I don't remember the title of it, Worthy is the Lamb. Um, what, what's the name? Revelation song, the Revelation song. When I hear that song and a few others, I, I often go to uh, Psalm 149. You don't have to turn there. But it talks about the high praises of God in their hands, the two-edged sword. The high praise of God in their mouth, the two-edged sword in their hands. Why? See, we think praise is to glorify God, and it is. But there is a dimension of praise called high praise that's to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples and bind their kings with chains and execute on them the judgment that is written. It actually says this is a, a glory for all of his holy ones. So when we come together and sing a song that takes us into a dimension of high praise, we're actually that... That worship moment, high praise, is the seminary of war. And what does that mean when all we're doing is capitalizing on it as a moment of emotion and adoration? I love that. I was so moved. But that's part of the gaps I'm seeing between the tools we have, the anointings the Lord releases... And whether we actually understand how it fits in the scheme of things, or are we missing opportunities? Are there, are there high praise moments in the future where we actually really need to be in a swirl of prophetic activity where God has been talking through the week or through the month, and there's breadcrumb trails and intercession and laying hold of certain things by faith where we know there's a moment in worship where we're about to break a na nation open. And right here, in the heart of the nation, at Heartland Church, there's a worship moment and a dictator is deposed 2,000 miles around the world. Just because we worshiped in a way, the seminary of war opened up before us and we bound a king with fetters of iron. But if we don't even... If we don't even know that that's in our hands, if we don't know that's a glory for his godly ones, if we don't understand that there are moments like that that he's waiting for us to step into, then we're going to have glorious worship. But it's not going to fulfill the full possibility of the Lord's presence among us in that moment. Uh, uh, Vladimir Putin just announced, I guess, today that he has put his nuclear uh, uh, deterrent forces on alert. And there's a lot of saber rattling and, and uh, it may be uh, sound and fury signifying nothing. 
But we're in the largest land invasion of Europe since World War II. And we're dealing with nuclear powers. And probably most of the people in this room, if you're Gen X or a boomer or older, you remember the Cold War. You remember the school drills. You remember the TV show the day after. And, and the, the living in fear that the button was going to be pushed. And we're in days like that again with an unusual degree of nearness. And yet it's so far away, it's easy for us to think it's not near. And where is the church in these moments in shaping world events rather than being victimized by them? If at some point this spills over and our troops have to engage or there's limited nuclear exchange and this escalates to a different level, at what point do we say we should have been shaping history more? With our prayer, with our intercession, with high praise, binding kings with fetters of iron. There, 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 I, I fear there's some lessons to be learned where we cross a line and then we look back and think we didn't actually have to cross that line. We could have drawn a line. Psalm 40, verse 6. In sacrifice and offerings you have not delighted would you just say that with me? In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. There's all kinds of messages about living sacrificially before the Lord and giving generously. And that is a legitimate other message, an aspect of our life. But there's a certain kind of perfunctory. This is actually addressing the, the act without the heart. God says, I, I don't actually care about that dead animal. I don't care about that extravagant gift. What I want is you, and you're giving me everything but you. So this is a, a passage quoted later uh, as applying to Jesus in Hebrews, but it says in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but instead you have given me an open ear. Kind of repeats the idea, burn offering and sin offering you have not required then I said, behold, I come. I delight to do your will, O God. In the book of the scroll, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. See, when we, when we get to the place where we're the sacrifice and we aren't trying to distract God with all the other stuff we're giving him while we withhold ourselves. There is a, there, there's something that happens where he opens our ear and in the opening of our ear, we see the scroll of our life in a different way. The scroll of our life is unrolled before us and that may happen at an emotional level, at a mental level. It may happen in your dreams. It may be a spiritual transaction. It may be a series of steps that unfolds over time. There's actually many such unveilings. But there are degrees to which your ear will remain closed to your purpose and destiny until you have a transaction like this where you lay yourself before the Lord and not all the other stuff you think he wants. 
You're his great treasure. You're the apple of his eye. He didn't die for your money. He didn't die for your ties. He didn't die for your, your, uh, uh, the, the, the big ministry you're going to build. You aren't going to offer that ministry to the Lord one day. You aren't going to offer that marketplace success. All you have at the end of the day is yourself. And that's good because that's exactly what he wants. And when that becomes the offering, he says, now I want to talk to you in a way you couldn't hear before. And when he talks to us in that way, we find ourselves surrendered even beyond what we thought was the great gift of ourself to him. We realize when he talks to me about my life and destiny before him, all bets are off. It's all his. And he shows us the value and meaning of our life. And our scroll unfolds before us. We see our name written in his heart. And now all of a sudden, the, the obedience and, and, uh, and uh, our, our struggles and weakness that have hindered us in the past, now we step in with confidence and we say, I delight to do your will, O oh God. John was a man who found his place in the scroll Jesus, John, Peter, Paul. See, we, we hear a message like this and we kind of, we water it down because we don't want to be too presumptive. We don't want to be too presumptuous in saying, God has a story for me. I mean, God's the author and perfecter of our faith and he's, he, yeah, he's writing our little story, but history is under his control and He's, he's doing things at a level we couldn't possibly influence or affect. And we don't want to, we're so afraid of acting in pride that we live small, polite, meaningless lives wondering why we feel this desire for more or see others walking in more and we assume well, that's just because there's something special about them. Maybe they had a transaction where their ear got opened. They were invited to see their place in the big picture and it made them surrender even more and become a, a, a vessel of glory in his hands. Maybe that's available to all of us. Jesus in Luke 4, coming out of the wilderness literally receives the scroll, reads out of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. He's looking right at him. He says, the Lord has anointed me. Preach good news, heal the sick, right? proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the whole bit. Closes it, and before the elders and rabbis and great men of Israel, he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He said, that scroll, talking about me. Well, we say, well, that's Jesus. Okay, that's good. John the Baptist found his place in the scroll. He, he said he was a voice crying in the wilderness, which is Isaiah 40. John was reading in the scripture, and something 
in his life and purpose collided and he said, that's my call. God opened his ear and said, you're right. Here's your part in the story. And John responded with a wholehearted consecration. I delight to do your will. Oh my God. And he gave himself to a ministry none of us much want, right? But it was considered, John was considered the greatest of all the prophets under the law up till that point in time because he fully abandoned himself to the story that Isaiah had written about him hundreds of years before. John said, I'm the voice in the wilderness. Isaiah said, there is a voice coming who will say, prepare the way of the Lord. John said, that's me. Paul took a, 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 a messianic promise and described himself as a light to the Gentiles. That was said about the Messiah. Paul understood he was an extension of the Messiah's mission. He claimed that verse in the scroll and said, that's my mission because I'm an extension of him, so he has made me a light to the Gentiles. Peter in Acts 2, the Spirit's being poured out. Peter said, let me tell you what this is. Let's go back to the scroll because we're in it right now. There's tongues of fire. There's a mighty rushing wind. There's an ingathering of nations. And Peter says, this is that. The audacity to say we're living in a moment that Scripture prophesied and I have a part in that story. The audacity to say that. Wait. We need to flip that. The audacity, if that is happening, to not say that. When that passage is, when Psalm 40 is applied to Jesus later in Hebrews, instead of saying, um, you've given me an open ear. In Psalm 40, it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. When that's said in Hebrews, they look at a different meaning of the, he, uh, of the Hebrew word. And of Jesus, it says, Of sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. See, when your ear is opened and you see your place in the story, there's an entire consecration of your being where you say, there's no part of me that's off the, off the table here. It's all God's. Sometimes we try to achieve that kind of wholehearted consecration. We all do this imperfectly. God has us all on a journey. But sometimes we do it without getting into that conversation with him we need to be in the word in a way that the, that the scroll can literally affect us, right? We need to see ourselves in the story of history, in the story of scripture. He wants to talk to us in dreams. There's all kinds of ways, but sometimes we just want to try to figure out how to obey him more and love him more without the process that opens our ears and consecrates our entire being where he talks to us about destiny, Your destiny 
your life in God, your purpose is part of God's treasure in you. Psalm 56, Psalm 139, they talk about the tears in the bottle and the book, he's, the book of remembrance he's written. The, the, uh, 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 David in Psalm 139 described how God had carefully paid attention to his life, even from his mother's womb, and had written his story in a book. What is your story? And how good is it if God wrote it? A friend of mine was taken to the archives of heaven in a dream. And it was this massive, it was this massive uh, room as far as the eye could see, lined with, you know, shelves. It was the ideal library, Pastor. It was just books everywhere. Yes. Every person, every person who was in the Lamb's Book of Life, had two volumes. One was small, and one was not just big, but giant. Different sizes of big, but definitely big and definitely small. And they went through and looked at all of these different uh, books, and every person had those two volumes, and an angel was accompanying my friend in the encounter, and he asked, why are there two books? The angel pulled out the small book and said, this is what most people believe for in their life. And then he pulled out the big book and said, this is what, most pe- this is what each person is invited to believe in their life. Over the years, I have begun to understand the power of, of fasting to help me know my scroll. I talked about Putin and the nuclear deterrent. Uh, and if you understand, uh, if even hearing or thinking about the thought of modern day nuclear war makes you queasy in a different level than just routine engagement, that's by design because atomic power operates at a totally different level, exponentially greater than conventional weaponry. 1945, a man named Franklin Hall gathered together with some believers in San Diego, California, and and they began experimenting with extended fasting. They were fasting for weeks, sometimes 40 days or more, and they started to see unusual dimensions of spiritual activity breaking out. Now think, 1945, the timing is instructive. He wrote a book called Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting, recounting the revelation they were getting, the understanding they were getting, and the miracles they were seeing. And he called it Atomic Power because just a few months before, Japan, who had no culture for surrender, they were loyal to their emperor to the death, the kamikaze warriors uh, uh, in, the, in the Pacific Theater, the death toll was estimated to be at least a couple hundred thousand, if not up to a couple of million more, because the Japanese were going to fight inch by inch across thousands of islands in the Pacific. And President Harry Truman made a difficult decision to drop, for the first time, 
two nuclear weapons, two atomic bombs, Fat Man and Little Boy, on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And what had been an expected, long, protracted war with millions of casualties within 24 hours turned into a surrender by a a, a foe that had no culture for surrender. Why? Because a superior power had been introduced. There is a movement in the earth that has begun where we are praying at a level we've never prayed before, beginning in 1999, September of 1999, four 24-7 prayer movements began spontaneously without any coordination released by the Spirit. I believe it was released because Bill Bright in 1996 called for a fast to usher in the great harvest in the millennium and God answered him with the, 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 the necessary infrastructure to sustain the great harvest. A prayer movement that would pray it in and keep it. And so we have more coordinated prayer, tens of thousands of houses of prayer. Indonesia alone has thousands of houses of prayer. The great prayer mountain in Korea, uh, obviously, you know, the reputation of Kansas City. Many others. But I believe that prayer movement was catalyzed by fasting. That was the first fast I ever did. 1996, I was a young, well, that's not true. Me and a buddy. I was about 17 years old seeking God to save our high school. We decided to go away (laughs) to a trailer out in the woods and fast for three days. I think I made it about three hours before I was slamming down some Big Macs. (laughs) That did not work. (laughs) My teenage metabolism demanded other things. But in 1996, I laid hold of this And what I want to tell you is my scroll started to make sense even though it took time. And God has put in place now this massive prayer movement around the world but we are just now beginning to add nuclear power to it. Because Franklin Hall's point was that fasting is to prayer what an atomic bomb is to conventional weaponry. It takes it to a whole other level. He had just seen it in history. They were pounding and shelling the islands and it wasn't going to stop until something far superior in power was introduced. I'm not advocating, this isn't a nuclear proliferation in the natural argument. I'm saying the people of God need a different kind of weaponry. We need to understand the tools that have been put at our disposal and we need to become well-versed in how to use them. I woke up in October. I'm going to try to move through two or three stories very quickly. I woke up in October, literally October 1st of uh, 2017. My feet hit the carpet, rolled out of bed, my feet hit the carpet and a thought came to me. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands for how many of you have had this thought because no one in this room has had this thought. No one ever has this thought. My feet hit the carpet and I thought, I need to make a pilgrimage to North Battleford, Canada to fast and pray for 21 days. What does that mean, right? 
out of the blue, I knew I needed to go to North Battleford. Now, North Battleford is, if you just keep going north from here until it's really cold and there's, there's nothing pretty around you. <laughs> it's the Canadian prairies. It was winter time. But I knew enough, North Battleford is where Franklin Hall's book, Atomic Power with God, had spread across the earth before social media. Little book, you can read it in an hour, it'll change your life. And it started going everywhere. And people started getting a hold of it. And evangelists who were seeing no power in their ministries and they were frustrated. A.A. Allen, T.L. Osborne, Oral Roberts fasted nine months. Until in Muskogee, Oklahoma, my hometown, he prayed for a little girl with polio and she got up out of her wheelchair. Gordon Lindsay, so many of these guys, they got a hold of that book. They're hot. God got a hold of them. Something in their ear opened and they gave themselves. Their ear opened and their body was prepared for a different kind of story to be written. And they started fasting. The miracles broke out. It was a time of miracles. 47, 48, 49. The healing evangelists emerged out of a fasting movement. Israel became a nation in that period of time, which is what Joel 2 is all about. In a time of crisis, call the people to fast and pray. And it says, maybe I'll restore the land. Prophetic history, the clock of prophetic history moved forward with this fasting movement. Miracle signs and wonders, evangelism. And in North Battleford, Canada, some Bible students got a hold of this book and were so gripped by it, they wouldn't go to their classes. They would skip lunch and they fasted and prayed. They said the grace of fasting rested on us all winter long. And it wasn't good politics at the time. Their parents had paid for them to go to Bible school, not a prayer meeting. And so they, they, had to, they were actually kicked out of school. They had to relocate. And they went to this little town that would have been about three or 4,000 at the time in the middle of uh, uh, Saskatchewan province, the middle of the prairies, and they fasted all winter long. I didn't realize it, but when my feet hit the ground, it was 70 years after they had started their fast. And the Lord was telling me, go to North Battleford to fast and pray. And I knew enough to know I'm going to fast and pray for a new latter rain outpouring because that's what came out of. A few months later, February 12th of, of uh, 1948... The Holy Spirit fell and it became a movement in the middle of nowhere Canada that affected the entire uh, world of Christianity. People would make trips uh, uh, through difficult circumstances, train, car, flooding to little North Battleford. And I was going on the 70-year cycle of that movement, but I didn't want to, so I delayed for several months until finally in January of 2018, I said, okay, I got to do it. I get on a plane and I'm on my way. I'm going to go for 21 days. During those 21 days, I, my original intention was to simply, uh, was to simply uh, get in a hotel. I wasn't going to try to mobilize anything. And I was just going to ask God for a new ladder rain outpouring on my own heart 
and a, a, a spirit of revival in the earth. Well, I'm on my way from Kansas City to uh, Canada, and I have a layover in Minneapolis. While I'm in Minneapolis, I get a phone call. I had told a couple of people about this, and that had bounced from here to here to here to a guy I had only met once before. He called me and said, Dean, I heard you're going to North Battleford. Now, this is the day I'm going after delaying for three months and just happening to pick a, a, a date that was random to me, but there were three open weeks there that I could give myself to in January. He calls me as I'm touch da- touching down in Minneapolis. He said, I had a dream last night. In the dream, I saw the destiny of Canada like on scales. And there were these massive golden scales and God the Father was there. And on one side was a coming darkness so great that if Canada did not respond to God, it would slip into that darkness so profoundly it would take three or four generations to come out of it. And on the other side were gold coins and empty wheelchairs. I believe that's glory in the miracle ministry of God. And, said, and, and in the dream, the dreamer was so troubled, he said, what will change this? And God answered, 10 days in North Battleford in November. Now, I was going in January. That November was the November to come. But God was enlarging my scroll because he didn't know and I didn't know and nobody knew. But all of a sudden, I'm going to the place God says is going to be needed to turn the tide of a nation. So now I'm not just praying for me. And a latter rain outpouring. I know I've been given a nation to contend for. See, I saw my place in the scroll in a moment that opened my ear and said, this is bigger than you thought. So on my way, let's put this screen up, uh, uh, number one, for the first time. I'm on my way there. Now, I didn't connect this for weeks. I'm a little dull, right? I'm on my way there for a 21-day fast. I didn't connect it. But 21 kilometers outside of North Battleford, I see something in the distance. Now, you can't really see it, so I'm going to show two more photos that will highlight, because I got on the road and I'm driving towards it. See that thing? Now, one more, I highlight, I increase the contrast. I'm 21 kilometers out, and I see this atomic plume. (laughs) And I know the Lord is saying, this is a chosen moment. Treat it seriously. A nation hangs in the balance, and your intercession may be key. So now I'm praying for Canada in a special way, not just me, but a spirit of revival to open up that well of revival from 70 years before, but I've come under the unction of a fasting spirit. I'm there fasting on water for 21 days, and on my way there, at the 21-mile marker, God shows me the atomic bomb just to give me a little kiss that says, you're hearing me, your ear is open, let's do this. Now, I went to the original property, it's still there, where the, the, uh, the students met. It's on the second floor of a little building. It's just a little, they call it the cloud room, 
because it had been used in World War II. Previously, it was by an airport. It was converted to an orphanage, but it still had the original horizon line where the RAF pilots of World War II were training Canadian pilots in simulators. And so they had, a, they had painted the clouds. They called it the cloud room. I step into that knowing a little bit more by the time I got there, and it's the exact same room. I'm in the cloud room where the glory fell. I asked for permission to pray there. And so my first day there, I'm praying two prayers. God, I'm in an upper room, so I'm praying Acts 2. Let your fire fall like never before. And I'm praying for the latter rain movement, so I pray, let there be a flood of the Spirit. I'm asking for the fire of God to burn and a flood of the Spirit. That's my first day there praying in the cloud room. Let's show this next slide. This shows up on the the public security, the, the public service announcement on all the phones in the region. They give a warning in North Battleford. There's a flood warning and a fire warning. All the local phones in that entire region were warned that there's a flood warning and a fire warning. The next day they said, we don't know why that happened. There is no flood or fire warning. It was an accident. Something tripped in our system. I said, I know exactly why your stupid phones are prophesying to you. Because God's, God's trying to save your nation and he's about to pour something out. That set in motion a series of events where I ended up meeting with a number of leaders. In July, we began to strategize, and for 10 days in November, we did the dream. We said the scroll has to be eaten, it has to be manifested, it has to be applied. We saw our names in it, and we just dared to step into it with faith. It was called the Battle for Canada. 10 days in North Battleford in November is a bad idea for conference planning. <laughs> this is not the way you strategize a successful event. It's ugly. It's, a, it's one of the most spiritually oppressive places. It's hard to get to. Did I mention it was Canada in winter? And it's not a nice two or three day, people can carve it out in their schedule. No, we gave a national summons to the nation. Canada hangs in the balance. What are you going to do? And we required 10 days from them because we saw it in the scroll. And 1,500 Canadians came from all over the country. We got on our faces and we asked God, shift this nation. A series of what we called the battle for Canada followed and here's, here's, here's my point of, uh, of this. There's a number of points. You can draw your own. But I believe some of what is happening right now in Canada with the truckers' convoy, the shaking in Ottawa, there is a battle that is manifesting in the natural because we were faithful to fight a battle in the spirit for that nation. And Canada, I believe Justin Trudeau is going to resign. I believe Canada is going to experience <laughs> revival. But as an American, God gave me a dream to lay hold of something. Canadians joined in, and something just 
transpired because step by step, we saw our place in it and God did release atomic power and things shifted and people responded and Canadians responded. Ever since that time, there's been a 24-7 prayer wall in Canada. It's been going for 18 months and the nation has been turning to God in such a way that in the fullness of time, I believe we're beginning to see the liberation of that nation to shift that dark prophecy to the hopeful prophecy. Well, goodness. Now, I have to really think, what do I do with my time? I had wanted to tell a little more of Lou and I's story at Wembley Stadium. I've got a handful of fasting stories and the unusual degree of spiritual activity that happens. But I, in all honesty, I've, you know, Lou's claim to fame is he says, I failed more fast than you all. <laughs> it, it's true, I've seen him fail a bunch of them. Because <laughs> I failed with him. <laughs> this, this isn't about trying to posture any of us in our own strength as mighty fasters. That's, that's not a badge that means anything in heaven. But to hunger for God... To get your ear opened and to see your place in his story in such a way that you delight to do his will. That's something I'm really interested in. And if fasting is part of the path that moves me farther into that than I could go without it. Then I want to Hunger for that hunger. I would rather be empty and alive than full and dull. I would rather position myself, yes, where I might fail, and I have and I will, but I may just enter a vein of grace and discipline that thins the veil and causes me to press into God and understand my place in the story that might just turn into something bigger than I even knew. And what, in this story, what I thought I was seeking was my own revival turned into a revival for an entire nation that's still ongoing. What if you had tripwires in your life? that you can pray for and believe for, and there's a whole lot of glorious stuff God will do, but some of the biggest and most glorious, he wants to pair with those that will experience the humility and rawness and emptiness and hunger and discipline of fasting. Why did Jesus do that? Why did John do that? Why did Jesus say, when you fast? He didn't say if. He 
He said, when? What does Jesus know about your scroll? That's like invisible ink that fasting makes clear to you. And you see parts of your destiny and story that you wouldn't see otherwise. I believe there's something in this body. I want to share a dream Lou gave me on the way up here. I don't know if you guys have heard this dream. Have, did he share with you the Luke Holter dream, Pastor Dave? He said, it had a dream at the end of December. In the dream, I was standing next to Lou, and we were looking over a huge square of land. Both Lou and myself had a sack over our shoulders filled with apple seeds. I knew in the dream that we were called to spread the seeds all over the U.S. and bring restoration Hovering over the land was a giant thundercloud. I knew in the dream that God was in the cloud. There was a square plot of land with a huge field of wheat. I'm just going to do a little interpretation along the way so I don't belabor the point. The apple seeds are speaking of fruitfulness, sowing seeds of fruitfulness, and the field of wheat is harvest time. But the outer edges were eaten up and only the center of wheat remained. So the picture is a giant square of land with wheat, but the outer edges were eaten out so that only an inner core remained. And then a voice from the cloud said, two spirits have been against my church and my people, and it announced Joel 2, 23 to 28. The voice said, 2022 is Joel 2, 24 and Joel 2, 28. So the Lord said 2022 is about restoring an outpouring. Well, if you just look very quickly at Joel 2, and I'm going to close and we're going to pray. Joel 2, 24 is the threshing floors that will be actually 23, is about the early and the latter rain. Then the threshing floors will be full of grain, vats overflowing with wine and oil, and there's a restoration process because of the years that the locust or grasshopper has destroyed, has eaten and destroyed the canker worm. And you shall know that I am in your midst, And verse 28, and it shall come about afterwards, I will pour out my spirit. So there's a promise of an outpouring. There's the delivery of the outpouring. And in between, there's a restoration of what has been lost in the past. But in this dream, there was a square and it had been eaten in so that the fruitfulness was only in the middle. And Lou and I are pondering this and we're wondering if this isn't a picture of the United States and the coasts are being ravaged and devoured, but there's something in the heartland that still has fruitfulness in it. There's something in the heartland that's going to bridge 24 and 28. There's something about the early and the latter rain and the wine and, and, and oil and harvest that the canker worm has ravaged But the promise is still true and there's something in the heartland that's going to lay hold of this and God is going to use a people that can start to see their place in the story 
and they value the great story of God and the idea that they have a part to play. You worship your guts out and you bind kings. You get an assignment from the Lord and you say, I'll be hungry for that. You lay hold of it with intercession. You do all the stuff you do. There's community, there's teaching, there's discipleship. But we need to ratchet it up because the world is going in directions that our present methods and priorities are not going to withstand. We have to begin to form ourselves in a more militant fashion with more of a sense of mission. And that means we need a whole bunch of ears opened and bodies prepared. And we have to take the weapons of our warfare seriously. Let's stand. Amen. I, I, I believe there's an invitation being extended in the spirit. And here's the deal with these invitations. You get to decide. You decide individually. You decide corporately. Are we seeing a scroll roll down before us or not? Do I see my name in it? This message may not be enough for you to have that clarity. But does it stir something in you to say, I'll press in until I get that clarity? Ankeny's position just north of Des Moines. What if, what if the heartland, what if the heartland, what if you as a fellowship started to think of yourselves as the head over Des Moines? What if you started to see that you can legislate things in prayer that determine laws that get passed? What if, what if Iowa's place as, as the caucus state in the election process started to be ruled by a little church? Just north of Des Moines. That just dared to say, we aren't going to take our weapons lightly and we're going to ask God to make us effective in them. And if that means there's seasons of fasting, then there's seasons of fasting. If that means there has to be a way to align around uh, uh, revelation, words of knowledge, dreams, then we do those things to get that divine intelligence. Let's ask the Lord to talk to us. Let's ask the Lord to 
breathe life into this fellow. There's already so much life here. I know he's already attracted to it. What are the assignments hanging over your life that he wants to just put right in front of you right now and give you faith to reach out and grab them? And what is your life, your life and testimony a year from now going to look like because your ear is open to today? If you are asking for the grace of fasting, this is not a pressure thing, but if you are asking, if you're moved to ask for the grace of fasting, I'm not asking you to commit. I'm saying you are moved to ask for the grace of fasting. I want you to come up front. You just want that grace to rest upon you because there's scrolls in your life. And there's scrolls in the earth. And God has your name written. Can, I, can we get the worship team up here? Or somebody, piano, anything? If I sing, the Spirit's going to leave quick. I just want us to lift our voices. I don't have to lead you in this. You lay hold of God. God, we're asking. We're asking for something in the Spirit. Put paddles on the heart. We're asking for the voltage to increase. We're asking to shake off lethargy. We're asking for something to grip us. God, not a manifestation of works and striving, but a seizing of divine moments. God, I'm asking for Heartland Church to be fruitful in the harvest in a day of ravaging on the perimeters. East Coast and West Coast, but you're bringing something of your spirit. I believe across the Midwest and right here into this fellowship. God, how can we lay hold of this? Would you open our ears? Would you open our ears, God? I'm asking you to open the ears of old men and old women and young men and young women. Open the ears of mothers and fathers. Open the ears of sons and daughters. In the book of the scroll, it is written of us, we delight to do your will, O God, a body you have prepared. God, even today, even today, we just say it's a holy moment to present ourselves as a living sacrifice before you. Rest upon us, God. God, I'm asking for divine assignments to be released right now. Just scrolls dropping from heaven. I'm asking for scrolls. The ministry of angels in this room. Release the postal service of heaven. There's messages to deliver. There's assignments. God, would you rest upon the people of Heartland Church with dreams in the night? God, if there is grace for fasting to enter into this fast beginning March 7th, would you open ears 
Release that grace, God. We're asking for a revival across the earth. We're asking for the salvation of Israel. We're asking for peace in Ukraine. We're asking for the breaking of tyranny. We're asking for the breaking of COVID. We're asking for miracles. We're asking for the authoritarian antichrist spirit across the earth to be pushed back. We're asking for the revelation of Christ and a billion soul harvest. We're asking for something beyond all we could ask or think. But we believe you've called us to partner with you. We believe you've asked us to enter in in a way we could not have imagined. But you gave us a scroll. You wrote our name on it in gold. You sang our name in the night. You said, come away with me. Oh God, let us be found faithful, meaning. We don't dismiss it. It's not a pizza dream. It's not something we just casually disregard. I'm asking for grace to seize these divine moments. God, would you make Heartland Church the head and not the tail? I'm asking for a spirit of rulership testimonies of dominion to come out of this place that would shake the halls of power in Des Moines. Oh God, let your fire fall. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Set your seal upon our heart. Set your seal upon us, God. will shout now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever God we want to be in that work even now nations being delivered into the kingdom of God nations discipled people of God marshaled around 
such a lofty goal. We say yes. We're too small, but we believe. It's never been about our size. It's about how great you are. Extend your rulership through us. Extend your glory through us. Teach us how to pray. God, we want atomic power. We want something more. Faint-hearted intercession in passing. Blessing the meal. Moving on. We want kingdoms to shake. in us, God. something that captures your heart you begin to pursue that only to find out there's something much greater he's drawn you into there's been this hunger for a fresh move of God in this house and that's a noble thing we we want to experience God we're we're hungry for this region but I'm telling you God's been drawing us in for something much much greater it's not something that we can consume for the nations of the earth. I remember the first time Bob Phillips preached from this pulpit after the service. We sat down here. We stood right here at the pulpit and uh, I felt like this whirlwind had come through. And Bob looked at me and he said, in the coming days there's going to be declarations made in worship that will shift history. He said, you'll say things from the in, in worship, make declarations you'll read about in the papers in the coming days. That's what Dean is talking about this morning. But we need our eyes and our ears open to a greater degree. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God and see a, a massive volume that my life was supposed to be. And all I did was consume a little chapter because of little faith. I believe there's grace. I was telling Dean last night, I've been feeling this pulling to go on a 40-day fast. I've only done one 40-day fast in my life. And I'm thinking, Lord, we just got done with one. Okay, that's, that's what I was thinking. But I've been feeling this tug from the Lord. 
And I, I know what it feels like. There's this grace opening up. Actually, the 21-day fast this year was actually easy. That much more easy than it usually is for me because I don't like to fast. I'm just telling you. But there was this grace for it. And I feel like the Lord's inviting us into something that if we'll yield to him, it will, op- it will unlock those books. It will unlock history. It'll shift things in the spirit. Now, I'm not arrogant enough to think that it's just Heartland, but I'm telling you, we have a role to play. And we cannot afford to let somebody else pay the price while we sit idly by. God allows us to see through a glass darkly, and we don't know what kind of weight. We don't know the responsibility. All we know is our role and to step in in obedience. And I believe the Lord does want to open our ears today. Now, some of you may not be called to go on that 40-day fast. It will look different for different ones of us. But I would encourage you to say, God, I want you to open my ear. It might be the first time you've ever done something like that. And the Lord will will lead you to do it. But I'm telling you, there's a book in heaven that is yet to be written. It's yet to be lived out. And it would be a tragedy to stand before God and realize that so much of what we were supposed to step into was yet unrealized. As Dean was talking, I'm just thinking of this backlog of prophetic words that I know were from heaven over this house. And it's like it's, it's backlog. There's still things to be released. And I do believe it's going to be through the atomic power of fasting. I'll close with this. Just recently I was watching a documentary about Jap- Japan in World War II. And just what Dean was saying, they, they were not going to surrender. I mean, the entire nation was armed. They were ready to fight with, uh, you know, garden hose and pitchforks for every square inch. It was not part of their culture to surrender. This was a religious, zealous culture that was a culture of war. But it was the release of that superior power that broke the back of that thing. And some of the generals wanted to fight on, but the emperor who was worshipped as God said, we're done. And he laid down his arms. And it's a sign for us that what we're seeing in the nations of the earth, and many of us, we felt there's been this foreboding of what we're seeing go on. And we've we've wondered, are we going to have a nation in another decade? I'm telling you, If we will cooperate with heaven with the atomic power of fasting, this thing can turn. And hell, who has no cultural grid work for surrender, will bow its knee to God's power. But God doesn't do it on his own. He looks for our cooperation. And there's an invitation. There's grace. There's an invitation for us to enter into this thing. Not in our own power. I am powerless over the magnificent power of Latino food, Hispanic food, Mexican food, outside of the power of God. But I'm telling you, there's grace from heaven this morning. Father, we thank you, God, for this word. Lord, we thank you for Dean. Lord, for his obedience. Lord, I'm asking God that this word would go deep into our hearts. And Lord, we're asking that you would open our ears. Lord, that we would see what we're called to.
That we, like John the baptizer, we would see ourselves in the scroll and step onto the stage of history and do our part. Lord, inflame our hearts. Grace us. We thank you for it, Lord. Spend us well, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.